Well, praise the Lord. So good to see you here tonight. So let's return to our series through Philippians by turning to Philippians chapter 1. Last week we focused on the end of verse 20 and then also verse 21 where Paul was ready to magnify Christ whether it was by life or by death. And then he stated this, For to me live is Christ and to die is gain. That was Paul's testimony in life, amen? This is what my life is, it's Christ. So much so that even if I die, I know that it'll be gained for me. We should have one major goal in this life, and that's to magnify our Lord and Savior. Whether it's by life, whether it's by death, we just need to keep pressing on. Now, you won't have gain in death if you don't first have Christ in life. Right? Remember, we talked about it's an equation. You've got to have the first half if you're going to have the last half. And so you've got to have Christ if you're going to have gain in death. And our life in Christ is personal for to me to live. It's a personal walk. It's an active walk. It's a daily relationship with Christ where it's all about Him and not about us. For the Apostle Paul, Christ wasn't something that he took part in, but Christ was his reason for living. Let that sink in. That's why he did what he did. He had eternity in view. He had Christ in view. So can we say that we are doing the same thing tonight? Well, I would normally give you a little bit better recap, but for sake of time, let's go ahead and begin tonight by reading verses 21 through 26. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I will not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So after stating to live is Christ and admitting that to die is gain, Paul says in verse 22, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Paul is saying, while I recognize that it would be gain to me if I were to die, if I keep going on living in this flesh, I'm going to have fruit because of my labors of magnifying Christ and being a help to other believers, leading more people to Christ as well, amen? And so there would be even more fruit in his labors because he would have even more time to labor. I wonder how many feel that way. Lord, give me more time in this life to just keep laboring for you. And this could also be saying that as long as I'm living in this flesh for Christ, then the fruit of my labor is Christ himself. For me to live is Christ, and, and if I get to continue in labor, the reward of that is Christ Himself, that I might know Him in the power of His resurrection, and, and, and to know Him more intimately and more better, and to serve Him even longer in this life. And if He were to have time to do that, then death would be even more the gain, right? Because we're storing up even more treasures in heaven. His goal was not necessarily to live long upon this earth, but it was to live with purpose upon this earth. With the life that he had 
He wanted it to count. He didn't want to waste his life down here. But he wanted to spend his life for what lay ahead after the death of this body. He wasn't just living to eat the next meal. Amen. It's like the Baptist credo, right? We can... <laughs> he wasn't just living to eat the next meal. And if you're finding yourself existing just to pay your bills on the 1st and 15th, something's off. You're missing what life is all about. Maybe you're one who's thinking, man, there's got to be more to life than this. You're right. <laughs> there's more. There's more than just cashing a paycheck and paying bills. Thank God. There's more to it. Live your life for Christ. See, if you'll learn to live your life with eternity in mind, it'll change your perspective in life. Live for someone bigger than yourself. And I don't mean somebody who has a beginning and an ending. Right? Live for the one who is the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the ending. The first and the last. Live for somebody bigger than yourself. Live for God. But you have to look beyond the here and now. Now, what do I mean by live for Christ? I want you to notice what Paul says. This is the fruit of my labor. What I mean by living for Christ is to labor for Christ. Work for Christ. Amen? There's nothing wrong with having a job. In fact, the Bible makes that pretty clear. Uh, men, you ought to provide for your family or you're lower down than an infidel. Isn't that what the Bible says? Nothing wrong with having a job. But are you working for Christ along the way? Are you laboring for Him? You see, it's work. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When you go to your jobs and you do your house chores, you're putting your own desires aside. Right? I mean, wouldn't it be nice just to do nothing? Amen! I'll admit it. I would love to just know that, ah, today I'm going to go throw the Frisbee around. That's not my dream, okay? I don't know why that came out. But I don't know. Whatever you do, amen? Um, you know what I'm going to do today? Whatever I want to do. That would be nice. It'd be nice to just, whatever you do, amen? You just fill in the blank. But are you setting, uh, when you're doing that, you are setting yourself aside that you might benefit others, do you do laundry in your house? Do you do everybody's laundry? Well, you're benefiting other people, aren't you? You're serving other people. When you go to work, are you paying bills for other people to live? You're benefiting others. You see what I'm saying? Uh, so if you're going to labor for Christ, then you have to put yourself aside and be used by God to be a benefit to other people. Therefore, you've got to take the time to witness. Make the effort to distribute our invitation cards. Talk to that person you really don't want to. Come on now. We can act like we're all good Christians, but there's always that person that comes walking your way and you know. Right? Uh, work with that individual yet again. Well, didn't we already deal with this? Yes. Work, keep working. Keep working. Stay with it. Amen? Amen? Stay with it. Don't give up. Keep clocking in. You can rest when you die. <laughs> I remember my dad being somewhat of a workaholic growing up. I think it was out of necessity, not out of choice. 
and he worked a lot, but I'll save that for another message. Um, and he would bring us along, too. It was great. So when he was also, he was in the Air Force, but also working at Schlossky's, it was awesome because I got to go get the frozen yogurt and all that stuff. But anyway, um, and, and so the, the reasons why are not important, and, and I got to say this because if mom's watching, she's going to want me to say, mom also worked when needed. And you can hear now. And, and I can remember being told by my parents, you can rest when you die. Now, I'm not saying there's not to be times of rest, amen. God gave us that example. He created six days, and then he rested one. And so I'm not against that. I'm just trying to lighten things up just a touch. But we, we do need times of rest. But you don't get a paycheck without labor. And listen, you won't bear fruit for Christ without laboring for him. It's something to me that, and please understand, I'm not being overly critical, um, but it's amazing to me that some can say they're too tired to come to church and sit. <laughs> and you know my heart. People are in different stages of growth, right? Some people are, are new to the faith. We've got to disciple them and, and train them up. Uh, some have been in so long, they're just like, good night. He said everything I already know. Um, <laughs> that was way too much agreement right there. Amen. <laughs> um, anyway. It's just too much trouble to sit, mumble our way through hymns, and listen to a message, and then drive home. Yeah. And, and, and listen, I, I just got to tell you this. If that's too laborious for you, then I doubt you know what it means to labor for Christ. And if you think laboring for Christ is coming to church and doing nothing, then I have failed you as your pastor. We must be about the Father's business. Now, how do we labor to this end? Well, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul said, Whom we preach, speaking of Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. You see, we labor for Christ by warning others of their rejection of God, the consequences of that of that free salvation that He offers. We labor by teaching everyone the wisdom of God's requirements. And we labor and we strive according to the Lord's working in us. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored the more abundantly. I labored more abundantly than they all, He said. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And Paul also told the Corinthians in the next letter that he was in labors more abundant. How was he able to continue? Well, he said, the grace of God which was with me. It's by God's grace. He gives us strength. He sustains us in our work. God provides us all that we need. Just ask our precious senior saints and they'll tell you, work while you have time. Because 70 is going to be here soon. Amen. John 9, 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So I'd ask you tonight, are you laboring for Christ? You're obviously still in the flesh if you're here. You're upon this earth, so make your life count for God. And live so that you may say at the end of your life, I have fought a good fight. 
I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. You won't receive the fruit of the ground unless you plow the field and plant the seed. Isn't that right? Faith is not looking at the field and just magically hoping it's going to happen. But you got to put some work in there too. And then you got to tend to the field. And so we have to labor. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So we need to be working for the Lord. It'd be a shame to arrive at the end of our life just to realize we never lived for God. Now after Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain, and then after he sees the fruit of his labors, if he continues to live, he then says at the end of verse 22, yet what I shall choose I woke not. He knows that to die would be gain, but he also knows to stay here and labor for the Lord and to be able to help others and to reach others would also be a benefit. One is gain to him, one is gain to him and others. Therefore, he doesn't know what to choose, which is what he explains in verses 23 and 24. For I am in a strait betwixt two, desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he's pressed between two good options here. Amen. Uh, it's not like David who was in a great strait because he had to choose whether pestilence or sword or famine when judgment was about to fall for him numbering the people. But Paul says, I'm in a strait between two. I don't know what to do. One's good and one's better. <laughs> and so this is a good position to be in. Um, this is where Christians should be in their life. He says to depart and to be with Christ or to remain and help the saints. Either way, I'm good. And he admits that to be with Christ would be far better than anything that we could have here on this earth. Do you believe that tonight? So his desire is to part, which means to be loosed from this world. You might think of a boat being loosed and, and sent out. He's ready to depart from this world and go home. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8 through 8 says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's what our rather should be. We should rather that. I don't know if this is good English, but it's making sense as it comes out to me. You see, Paul, he desired a better country. That is, an heavenly. He knew he had here no continuing city, but that he was heading for a city prepared by God. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The Bible says it's a place where there's no night because God lightens it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. So do you understand what Paul is saying here? He, he's not being fatalistic. He doesn't want to depart to escape life. But he desires to depart to be with Christ. And this isn't like some Eastern religions or even like some of the Greek thought in Paul's day where there's this desire to escape from this bodily prison that our soul's trapped in through this continuous cycle of rebirth and death, hoping that eventually you'll live pure enough that you'll be out of this. Paul isn't talking about escaping. He's not rejecting life by choosing death. He's not wanting to hasten death because this world is such a terrible place to live. And listen, we think we have it bad. It was far worse in Paul's day. Far worse. And so he's not looking to just get out of here, but he's choosing Christ who knows, 
who Paul knows he would know better through the process of his physical death entering into the Lord's presence. And so all Paul's talking about here is, you know what, there's a part of me, I'm just ready to go home. I don't know if the idea of dying is unsettling to anybody here tonight, but we don't have to fear death when we are in Christ. Thank God for that. We're only going to pass through the shadow of death. Last week, my dad had sent me this story, which I thought would go nicely with this tonight. It goes like this. A sick man turned to his doctor as he was preparing to leave the examination room and said, Doctor, I'm afraid to die. Tell me what lies on the other side. Very quietly, the doctor said, I don't know. You don't know. You're a Christian man and don't know what's on the other side. The doctor was holding the handle of the door, and on the other side came a sound of scratching and whining, and as he opened the door, a dog sprang into the room and leaped on him with an eager show of gladness. Turning to the patient, the doctor said, Did you notice my dog? He's never been in this room before. He didn't know what was inside. He knew nothing except that his master was here. And when the door opened, he sprang in without fear. I know little of what is on the other side of death, but I know one thing. I know my master is there, and that's enough. That's good. But understand, we do know a little bit of what's on the other side. We have the Bible to tell us some things, right? We know some certain facts that await us. We may not be able to totally understand it all and maybe comprehend it all, but, um, I mean, when we think of a, a, a gate of pearl, that, that, that's a pearl. You know, it's not like string of pearls. It's, it's a pearl. Uh, it, Mike can picture that, and maybe not, and, but we know some things await us. But listen, it should be enough to simply know that Jesus is waiting for us on the other side. Yeah. And I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So Paul says, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Then he says in verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He says, you know, I want to leave for home. I'm ready to be with Christ, my Savior. But I also understand how it's necessary for me to abide here a while longer for your sakes. And this isn't a cocky statement that he's making here. He understood who he was in Christ. He knew that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. He knew God had a plan for his life. Life had meaning to him. And that is such a problem in our day, isn't it? Teen suicides have never been higher than they are now. And it's because there's no understanding of God. There's there's not a realization that God has created them for a purpose. Where's the meaning of life for so many today? I mean, is it true that there's no God? Is it true that we all just evolved from a cosmic accident, from some pond scum, and we're all here by chance? Is it true that we just live 70 to 80 years upon this earth and slurp soup at the end and die? I mean, is that all there is to life? Am I just living to pay my bills and raise a family? Are we just going to die and then that's it? You see, where's the purpose for living in that? But that's what our young people are bombarded with nowadays. And I submit to you that you are still upon this earth because God wants to use your life. And He wants to do so in a way which is needful for others. Needful. I can admit that I struggle with this verse in my own life. Not that I want to hasten death. I I love life. Amen. 
But if I'm being honest, then I do struggle believing that my life would be needful for others. We know on one hand, God doesn't need any of us. But we also know, on the other hand, that God chooses to use anybody who's willing. It's easy for me to think I'm needful for my family. But it's hard for me to think I'm needful for this congregation. Or anyone else outside of my family, for that matter. And I'm not saying this is right, and I'm not giving you some false show of humility, but I often think how others could do a much better job. But what you have to do, in my case, and and I, I say this maybe to be a help to you, is I have to go back and revisit God's call upon my life and realize whether it makes sense or not, this is the post that God has called me to. And therefore, in some strange way, it's needful for me, but it's also needful for you. We have to try to come and come to terms with this truth. God has called us because it's needful for others. It's not out of self-pride, but it's a needfulness because the lost need to hear salvation in Christ alone. It's needful because we need to consider one another and provoke each other unto love and good works. And we need to exhort one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. It's also needful for us because God is using this life, listen now, to conform us into the image of Christ. He's using all those circumstances that we don't like to go through to conform us. And then sometime, maybe even years later, He'll reveal to us, that's why I had you go through that. So that now, your life is needful for this person. That you might help them through it and say, look, let me just tell you, I've been there, I've gone through that, I don't understand it all at the time, but I knew this, God was going to get me through, and this is how He did it. And it's needful for other people because we all need to be growing in grace. And so we see that while it would be far better to depart and to be with Christ, it's needful for us, it's needful for the lost, and it's needful for the saints that we stay here until God calls us home. And listen, I've dealt with believers who struggle with suicide. They no longer see the reason for living because Christ is no longer their focus. If you get your eyes off Christ, you're going to lose your bearings and you're going to start to drift around with no purpose. But if you will anchor yourself to Christ and purpose to labor for Him, keep your eyes upon Him, then you will see that God is, He has created you for a purpose. And even if we don't understand it all, it's because somehow, in God's wisdom, it is needful for others. Now it's been said that real joy is from the acrostic, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, than you. As much as that's corny to me, this is what we find here. We don't have time to break these verses down tonight, but you can see this principle in Paul's life. His first desire is to be with Christ, Jesus. Next, he desires to be with others. And then his life is last. Jesus, others, and you. Verse 23, to be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide is more needful for you. Verse 25, continue with you all for your furtherance and joy in faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant. Jesus, others, And then you, joy. And so how about you tonight? Are you living for self? Or are you living for Christ? Have you learned the value and joy of living for others? You are here because it is needful for somebody else. Now, I don't understand that. But I want you to go out of here tonight and magnify Christ in your body. Because somebody needs you. God's placed you in that 
little sphere of your life to be a blessing. It's needful for somebody. And let's pray.